From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers magazine, The National Conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, May 30th through Friday, June 3rd, 2022. A shortened week for many as Americans return to work wherever that might be after a long Memorial Day weekend. But an awful lot can happen even in a four-day week. Inflation assaults our earnings and savings. Mass shootings undermine our faith in humanity. The pandemic erodes our confidence and authority. The war clips our better angels' wings. And social media pollutes our sensibilities. No problem. Get ready for a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, and fence-sitters. Please, don't get angry. Just listen closely and maintain a degree of educated skepticism regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers with a countdown of the 10 biggest topics, Harry Hurley in Atlantic City on Elon Musk, Joe Thomas in Charlottesville on mass murder, Dr. Renee Kohansky in Princeton on the national bad mood, Steve Wiseman in Boston on the Depp Heard verdict, and Dr. Dahlia Wax on the latest COVID-19 vaccines. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast-to-coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K., the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. We dedicate this week's installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap to the memory of William O'Shaughnessy, the chairman of our New York affiliate WVOX in Westchester, an outstanding broadcaster and great champion of the First Amendment. Rest in peace, Bill. You'll be sorely missed. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, Queen Elizabeth II's Jubilee tied with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard verdict. The UK's world-famous sovereign is 96 years old and celebrating her 70th year on the throne, an amazing record-breaking achievement. The question going forward is whether or not the institution of the monarchy will be able to survive in the 21st century after she eventually passes. On the celebrity gossip front, the jury came to a complicated verdict in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial, and we'll have a legal analysis of it for you during the next hour. At number nine, the impact of social media on our kids and our brains. Psychology are increasingly concerned about the negative impact social media is having upon the developing minds of young people, especially after a couple of years of COVID-19 isolation. Not to mention the spread of disinformation that has contributed to the dangerous level of polarization currently plaguing American society. At number eight, a tie between race relations and immigration. Feelings are still raw in the aftermath of the recent Buffalo supermarket mass murder shooting, and the teaching of critical race theory remains a controversial hot-button issue at school boards around the nation. 
On the sports front, Colin Kaepernick, who last played professional football in 2016, the year he started kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial injustice, reportedly worked out Wednesday for the Las Vegas Raiders. And the beat goes on along the southern border as, in just less than 40 hours, Border Patrol agents in Del Rio, Texas, an immigration crisis hotspot, discovered three large groups of migrants, two of which comprised over 200 individuals seeking illegal entrance into the United States. At number seven, abortion rights. Ironically, most news talk media show hosts will tell you that abortion is not one of their favorite topics because it is so polarized and most people on both sides are unswerving from their deeply held convictions. However, the recent leak about the Supreme Court's intentions to overturn Roe v. Wade and individual states feverishly working on bolstering their own pro-life or pro-choice stances has made it a topic that cannot be avoided. At number six, the January 6th committee tied with a non-stop slew of Donald Trump activities. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection announced Thursday that its first public hearing will take place on June 9 at 8 p.m. Eastern. The advisory does not list any witnesses for the hearing, but says additional details will be released next week, stating the committee will present previously unseen material documenting January 6th, receive witness testimony, preview additional hearings, and provide the American people a summary of its findings about the coordinated, multi-step effort to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election and prevent the transfer of power. At number five, partisan politics and elections. By elections, we mean both the forthcoming primaries, the 2022 midterms, as well as the presidential race of 2024. And of course, the role of Donald Trump as de facto leader of the GOP continues to be a major talking point. At number four, the Russia-Ukraine war and U.S. foreign relations. As the bloody war grinds on past its 100th day, it's estimated that Russia now controls about 20% of Ukraine territory. And although the U.S. and NATO allies have been supporting Ukraine with the shipment of arms and humanitarian aid, analysts speculate that Putin is counting on the Western powers eventually losing interest in his invasion. At number three, COVID-19. The White House reports COVID-19 shots for children under five could begin in the U.S. as soon as June 21. According to the report, the U.S. has plenty of supply of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to start the vaccination program for kids younger than five, and 10 million additional doses would be made available for states, pharmacies, community health centers, and federal entities to order starting this weekend. At number two this week, a three-way tie between the economy, the national mood, and Elon Musk's edict to test employees. Inflation, as indicated in the rising costs of housing, gasoline, food, goods and services, continues to increase the pressure on average families in America to make ends meet and worry economists about a likely recession and a rocky road ahead. Elon Musk's threat to Tesla employees that if they don't go back to spending at least 40 hours per week on the job at the job, he would consider that to be a statement of resignation that's triggered discussion about the mindset of American employees who are now used to working from home. And speaking of mindset, the national mood is in the turlet, as are President Joe Biden's approval ratings. And at number one this week, mass shootings. The shooting this past week in Tulsa on the heels of Texas and the lingering pain over Buffalo has cast a pall of frustration fear and anger across the nation about civility and safety in America. Not to mention amplifying the never-ending debate over more gun legislation as the immediate answer to the problem. 
The president gave a speech at the White House calling for increased gun control with, of course, mixed response. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's dive right into the interview segment of the show. Joining us now is one of our favorite go-to guys, the Talkers Heavy 100 morning host of our affiliate WPG in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Harry Hurley. What's your take as a, as a commentator and a, a person in media, just a general observation of Elon Musk? Some people love him. Some people hate him. Some people don't understand him. But this guy has gone subterranean. He has brought us back into space. Uh, he is actually uh, cares enough to pony up a lot for a, a platform that he felt was um, selective and unfair to, to large segments of America. I'm a big fan, and I can't help but notice that the moment he said he's voting Republican in the midterm elections, the long knives came out of the Democrat media and the Democrat echo chamber, the Democrat establishment. He, he, he's like, a, what's the expression, enigma wrapped in a riddle mm -hmm. uh, into a puzzle? I mean, he's, um, he's very eccentric, uh, you know, former dater to uh, um, uh, Johnny Depp's former wife, Amber Heard. I mean, this guy is, I don't know whether to call him Renaissance man or his own uh, category. He's very interesting, though. Do you trust him? Well, I trust him to an extent. First of all, I don't know him. So you, I think you really need to know someone to trust him. If you trust reputation, I mean, look, he, he makes the bid for Twitter. And then he comes back and says, hey, you know, uh, a large percentage of your members are really not human. They're bots. So I want to pay a lot less. You know, he can he because he's so wealthy, the wealthiest person in the world, he can he can shake and affect markets. He actually did affect the markets when he uh, when there was concern that maybe the deal wouldn't go through after all. So I think you, you, you trust but verify. Do you does it disturb you in any way? It disturbs me a little bit. So uh, I'll give you a hint as to what I'm thinking. You know, we're capitalists. We, we, we want to see people be able to make a lot of money and we want to see people get the rewards of their merit in a meritocracy. But does it trouble you when somebody is so wealthy, such so such a mega billionaire? whether it's Musk, whether it's Bezos, or, you know, this whole new breed of what we used to call the Rockefeller types. But these guys are, well, you just, they're beyond you it. Just took the, yeah, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. If you didn't, you, we, we think a lot alike, Michael. Uh, I love being on, being on your show. The, the Rockefeller comparison is perfect. The government decided that Standard Oil was too big, and so they crushed him. Uh, if any of these, what I call social media oligarchs, get too big, and if the power is in the hands of the side that doesn't like the trajectory of what's going, let's face it, Democrats have been in control for several years, and they have enjoyed the fact that some of the social media uh, shuts down conservative free speech. So they didn't have any problem with Elon Musk until he said, hey, I want to open it up to everybody, and I want to bring Trump back, even though Trump said I'm not coming back. I have my own platform. But uh, so – I believe that our system uh, for over, what, 250 years thereabouts mm -hmm. has a way of handling things like this. If something gets too big, 
there is a way you, you either call it a monopoly and you, you remember all the baby bells, you know, the belt had to be broken up. If it gets too big, it will be dealt with. So you so you just trust in human nature as per our capitalistic system to have its own checks and balances and they'll emerge as necessary. I trust capitalism more than I do the the glide path that we're on as a civilization because what's going on right now in this country has me very concerned. But I think there's enough of the foundation still in place that the process still works. Well, let's switch gears now since we're talking about um, money-isms. Um, uh, what's the view from Atlantic City um, of inflation and uh, the problems that are burdening the economy right now? Michael, great concern. Uh, there's a belief that the summer will take care of itself. Uh, we've talked offline about the uh, national NAACP convention. That's a big deal. That is a really big deal. And my friend Governor Murphy uh, stepped up big to to put two million plus into the pot to win it, to win the bid for Atlantic City, which really worked very, very hard through Meet AC to win against many jurisdictions around the country. So we have big things happening. Usually we're not even talking big conventions or big meetings in the summer because it's the busy time of the year and you're trying to drive that type of business when it's not as busy in the town. But that's that's the reason I bring this up, Michael, is that's the reason that no stone is being left unturned and we're doing everything we can to make things happen even during the summer season because there's a, a concern that during the shoulder and the off season that this inflation some of the staffing issues and some of the supply chain issues and just some of the um, the, the things that are trending right now not so well uh, could be a problem in the next six months or so. Let's swing back to the Musk issue about people coming back to work at Tesla. Uh, what is your personal view of this issue about returning to the office or continuing to work at home? Some companies are very big on it doesn't matter where you are. See, I'm a big believer. I don't care. They used to be, oh, he's not at the White House. I don't care where the president is. If the president is in Delaware or the president is in Camp David, if you can get your job done, uh, it doesn't matter to me where you do it. We're, we're, we're a digital world now. We have the technology. One of the pluses of the pandemic, uh, we found out you could do telemedicine. People were very adverse to that. Now they haven't gone back to going in. There are companies, though, Michael, and you know this, where if you need the team together, either a sales team or there is a miss uh, by not having that face-to-face -face contact, where some companies uh, at a certain point insist that you come back. I know some companies, and so do you, that maybe three days a week you work in the office, two days a week you work at home. Uh, I know Elon Musk is taking a hard uh stand on, you know, 40 hours or see you later, and we want you back in. Uh, the employer dictates in that regard. If they believe that their philosophy of the business is best served by the staff having contact with one another and not just, and you know, there is a difference of FaceTime or a Teams meeting or whatever, Zoom, that's one thing. But there is a dynamic that's lost 
when you don't have that contact with team members. That's Harry Hurley of her affiliate in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Heritage Station WPG. Coming up next, a view of the tragic mass shootings from the perspective of a radio personality who does a morning show in Charlottesville, Virginia. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. Great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real. Take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. The mass murder shootings have collectively been the key topic in the national conversation for the past two weeks. Joining us now for his perspective on the deeply disturbing issue is morning talk show host and station program director at WCHV Charlottesville, Virginia, Joe Thomas. I spoke with Joe right between the recent Texas murders and the subsequent Tulsa tragedy. Joe, how should we as a society be dealing with the the shooting problem we have? I, I, I usually tell my listeners is very similar to when somebody says we have a homeless problem or a cancer problem. You know, and, and I've compared the two. I said homelessness is like cancer. Uh, they're manifestations of a million different things that all sort of look and, and manifest the same when you finally see it and confront it. And so you, to look for one answer is usually not helpful because what might help in one case isn't going to help in the other. But I think there is a manifestation of uh, a culture that doesn't ground our young people in uh, a certain amount of humility. And then on that tinderbox, we pour the gasoline of social media and in this case, and in Buffalo, as we get to know more about what happened there, and even as far back as Columbine, these were people who, for whatever reason, couldn't see the fact that they had good friends and apparently close enough friends to, in most cases, make somebody happy. And I have, you know, how many friends do you need? Uh, but in social media landscape, we need to have more friends, and you know, I have more friends than you, and the right kind of friends. Uh, and I think that exacerbates uh, an already existing ill where kids aren't growing up with enough grounding self-esteem of their own understanding that you know, their self-esteem doesn't come from outside. It comes from inside. What are you good at? What do you do? You're not going to be as uh, good at the same things this person is. 
those sort of basic understandings that I don't know. I don't remember my mom and dad having specific sit downs with me about it. Uh, but I feel like it was much more commonplace for kids in my generation and yours, Michael, to understand, hey, I'm going to, I got bullied all the time. Actually, I have one of the founders of the band, Anthrax, who was a tormentor all of mine all the way through middle school huh. uh, until I finally <laughs> pushed back and, uh, and, 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 and got to drop his record from, and you, and you got to drop his record from your playlist. <laughs> That's right. Ah, I've shown you now. Um, but, you know, and, and so, you know, there were the fact that there are kids who are going to be bullies, and it sounds like this kid in Uvalde was the bully, mm-hmm. um, not was bullied, um, and, and have this attitude of dehumanizing other people. Uh, we, we need to get a better grasp on how uh, an 18 year old gets that far off the tracks. Uh, he was uh, apparently, according to law enforcement, uh, there's pictures of him verified with dead cats that he killed. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm uh, just an armchair sociologist, but I know that that is one of the most profound red flags in a young person's development. If they're showing callousness towards uh, a pet's life or an animal's life, that they're probably going to continue to spiral towards disregard to human life as well. These are all things that can be interceded on. Uh, if we can help, uh, but uh, but I think our society is getting to a point where we don't want to help each other. We all just want to uh, finish ahead of each other, if that makes any sense. How have you been handling it on the air? I, I think early in my life, you know, lots of tragedies, tragic events that unfolded, and I always hearken back to the Challenger explosion. And I had always been told that Dan Rather had made his bones during the Kennedy assassination as being able to fill and be informative when there was no new information and always being able to come up with enough to keep people tuned in if you had to be on the air. And I remember watching the Challenger disaster uh, live as it happened. And I had only just been getting into the broadcast field. I'd wanted to do it through high school and I was getting into the, the realm of doing it for money. And I'm watching and I'm flipping through with a little bit more of a curious eye saying, well, gosh, how would I handle this now? And I'm watching all the anchors and they were right. I mean, I'd never really seen one of those moments where there's a flashpoint and then nothing new comes out of the story. Um, the investigations begin, but you know, you're on the air because people are, just hearing about it, and they want to know what's there. And I've treated stories like this Uvalde, Texas shooting in the same way, that we're not going to hear a lot while the investigation is going on. So most everything else is going to be hypothesis uh, and and double sourcing and vetting information before it comes out so we can have conversations in abstract about what is a, a... Second Amendment right, uh, what are some of the simple things that could have been done, um, What are where are the wild theories and rumors and innuendos versus the reality so that my listeners kind of feel unspun because you, within 24 hours of something like this, there will be people, and you know them and I know them, who will find a podium uh, to, <laughs> to have a press conference to you know, make whatever points that they can make 
uh, from a tragedy like this. So I try to be a, a, a an unspinning area where you know people can kind of get away from all that. We can just get down to the uh, brass tacks of it. And and we did the same thing here in Charlottesville, um, not during our famous national immolation in 2017, but during a much more tragic time when we had lost a Virginia Tech co-ed outside of a Metallica concert. Her name was uh, Hannah Graham, and the eyes of the nation came to a little town like Charlottesville, and I thought the police chief handled it beautifully. He managed to keep the news media uh, fully informed of what was going on, answered every question sometimes two, three, four times every day, while keeping the investigators free to be able to find the person who did it, and then, you know, in abstract, actually closed another open case, the Morgan Harrington case, by being able to give the press what they needed, the public, the information they needed, but also um, uh, act as a bulwark to make sure that his investigators could do that. And that's what I want to have happen in Uvalde. I want to have happen anywhere is um, let the let the process of collecting evidence and that kind of thing come out, because the more we get the politicized media attention I feel like, anyway, and maybe you can opine as well, the, the, that the politicians, the elected officials, and even the police chiefs that are appointed by them become less likely to just tell you what happened and more likely to sit down with the information and say, now how do we package this so that it doesn't make X look bad or Y look good? Um, if that's and, and I feel like that's a corrupting point to our decision making, but I think it's part and parcel of why the listening uh, and calling audience for talk radio has both from the left and the right started to feel less confident with our system, uh, in, in both elected and just societal, don't you think? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, it comes under uh, political weaponization. It's be- it becomes weaponized. It becomes a political issue. And, you know, when you talk about people taken to podiums, I guess you're referring to politicians. And uh, a subset of politics these days, you know, are people in the media, which is targeted to people. I call it the daily dance of affirmation. You target an audience and then you tell them everything they want to hear. You don't even think about being um, creative or um, investigative or in many cases, even honest. Um, You just tell people what they want, target it and throw out the red meat. That's Joe Thomas, the morning show host and station program director at WCHV in Charlottesville, Virginia. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Between the shootings and the economy and the pandemic and the war, the national mood is in the dumper. Joining us to talk about it is well-known forensic psychiatrist and medical field podcaster, Dr. Renee Kohansky. The national mood, and it's not a good one, is way up at the top of the survey in terms of topics people are talking about on news talk uh, programs on radio and television this week. Uh, You deal with the national mood all the time. What's your take on how people are feeling because of the times as opposed to physiological situations that affect people's brains? Well, we like to call it the biopsychosocial model, which is that everything is linked. There's biology, there's psychology, and there's social, and you can't necessarily tease them all apart. That being said, I would say that the 
thing that's driving everybody the most happens to be the environment or the or the uh, the surroundings, and it's making people kind of uh, seriously depressed. Mm-hmm. And and there is an upside to it, but the downside is that there's too many external factors forcing people in a negative direction. And when you have too many negative inputs coming in at once, it overwhelms people's coping skills. And then that kind of forces, whether there was a biological underpinning or not, it can force even the most even-minded or uh, steady people into a state of uh, depression or despair, or at the very least, uh, chronic sadness and exceed their coping skills. Wow, that's interesting. So when you see patients, um, immediately you probably determine whether or not they are new to being unhappy or depressed, chronically so, uh, or uh, this is something that's been going on their whole life and it may be just exacerbated or not even be related to what's going on right now. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first thing you do is kind of what's your past psychiatric history? And I'm seeing a lot of people who, you know, there is no past psychiatric history. And the most interesting thing that I'm seeing, or interesting, I wouldn't say interesting, uh, a new phenomenon that I'm seeing is that people who are in their 40s and 50s with absolutely no previous psychiatric history are presenting with full-blown, not just I'm sad, not just, uh, I'm, you know, I got the blues, not just this is a social kind of uh, thing, this will pass, but full-blown what we, you know, call in psychiatry major depressive disorder. And, and let me tell you, I'm not necessarily one for pushing drugs because that's what everybody wants to do. They want to push a drug, give a pill, make it better with a pill. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of pushing drugs real fast for people because they do have uh, the symptoms of a major depressive disorder, which, by the way, is a whole other conversation because you can or you can, there are actually cases where even if you have that diagnosis, you may be able to get around it without pushing a pill if you want to spend some time with people, which I think we need to do. Mm. Well, it's way. interesting, you know, we don't hear it in the news anymore as much. I mean, everything is still out there. The The opioid crisis, the opioid pandemic, it sort of was overshadowed by the COVID pandemic. But um, is that still something going on that's affecting people? Or have we got a, uh, have we got a grip on that? Do we have the bull by the horns? Or Oh, my gosh, no. Uh, oh, my gosh, no. And the whole fentanyl crisis is still here. And uh, the, you know what? You, you want to hear something really scary? Yeah. In Canada, they're making fentanyl legal. Now, that's a, that's a synthetic drug, isn't it? I mean, it, there's a tremendous amount of dangers. Why are they making it legal? Uh, I, w- I mean, I'm not, I'm not in the Ministry of Health in Canada. My guess would be they feel that they could monitor its ah. quantity and its use, but that I uh, don't think will be a successful endeavor. Yeah, and you know that ties into foreign relations and our relationship with China and uh, all kinds of things. As, as you pointed out before, these issues are interconnected. What impact have you found, if any, because you're talking to patients all day long, um, what impact has this um, ongoing incidence of mass murders at the hands of crazy gun-toting maniacs had upon individuals' depression or moods? It's making people feel extremely vulnerable, and it's putting people into a position of 
helplessness and vulnerability to a level of survival so that they're make it's it, it, it's almost that people feel like they can't rationally problem solve the situation and to some degree they can't because the methods that we've had for containing things in the past are not working and people are almost making errors of of jumping to fast conclusions and sort of bullet point solutions rather than trying to look at the bigger problem and fix the bigger problem, which is only going to circle into making this whole thing worse because we have a bigger problem rather than the, the pinpoint problems, which are horrific. And I do mean they are horrific. That's well-known forensic psychiatrist Dr. Renee Kohansky of the MD Edge PsychCast podcast. Coming up next, a big piece of celebrity gossip that covers the law and defamation. The Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case entranced a large segment of the population, resulting in heightened interest and discussion of the high-profile trial. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, D2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. Joining us now is noted law professor of Bentley University in Boston. He's the founder of the crime-fighting website Scamicide.com, Steve Wiseman. Well, Steve, um, a number of people listening to this program might not really know the details of, of this trial because this is the first week that it actually made the talker survey of conversation on news talk shows on radio and TV. So many other things happening in the world. This sort of fall, fell by the wayside as celebrity gossip. But um, it has made the chart this week. So we turn to you. What's the story? 
You know, it is kind of significant. And interestingly enough, I think if I were not a media law professor, I may not have even have followed it because it was just kind of a salacious, he said, she said, defamation trial. But it touched on a lot of different areas. It touched on the Me Too movement. It touched on uh, the idea of uh, celebrities and public figures in defamation. And uh, of course, there were, you know, across social media, people uh, taking sides all over the place. But the essence of it was uh, Johnny Depp, the uh, famous actor, and Amber Heard, the less famous actress, uh, had a very volatile marriage. And uh, there were always rumors about uh, mutual violence during that, uh, that marriage. But it ended. It ended. They divorced. Uh, and then uh, she wrote a, uh, an op-ed, and a newspaper op-ed, in which she didn't refer to him by name, but it dealt with the Me Too movement, and it, it certainly did indicate that Johnny Depp had been violent uh, towards her and that she was the victim of uh, lurid attempts at, at physical abuse. So he sued her, and actually he first sued her for defamation. And uh, he sued first in the uh, in the UK because the UK's laws regarding uh, public figures uh, are easier for them to win defamation cases than the United States. But he lost, and in fact, the judge there uh, indicated that he thought the allegations uh, against uh, Johnny Depp were substantially true. So he later. Followed, filed again, this time uh, in Virginia, uh, a massive lawsuit against her, again saying that uh, she had uh, defamed him by saying that he was a phys physically abusive to her. Now, for celebrities and governmental officials are treated different for defamation cases. They have to prove that the other person either recklessly uh, disregarded the truth or just affirmatively lied. It was, uh, and this is something, uh, it's a deliberate lie that they're saying. And you don't see celebrities generally bringing or winning these kinds of lawsuits. So he brings the lawsuit. She then counterclaims saying that when uh, Depp's lawyer, uh, at uh, Depp's request, uh, put a story out saying that all her allegations were a hoax, she in fact was uh, being defamed by him. That actually is, is similar to cases, defamation cases that are now being brought against uh, Bill Cosby, who claimed his accusers were a hoax. The biggest misreporting in the last few days has to do with the fact that Depp got a $10.5 million uh, judgment approximately ten and a half million and she got in her claim two million so the, the, what the what the news media really hasn't reported on you look at that and you say well obviously his defamation must have been much more than hers that's not an indication because the in the damages the and damages is the amount that you pay is based solely on what you financially lost. And so Mr. Depp was able to show that he lost a lot of roles. He was a very prominent actor that cost him much more money than Heard, who was not as prominent. So the fact that he got five times as much awarded doesn't mean that the jury believed him more than her. And in fact, uh, it's the, the very fact that the defamation uh, against him 
was supporting what she said, that he was abusive to her and that it was not a hoax, uh, kind of says that the jury said, you know what, a pox on both of your houses. And to me, the most interesting witness in this whole case, because there was so many he said, she said, was the... uh, psychologist and counselor who heard them both and uh, did therapy with them both and called it a mutually uh, horrible relationship, a mutually hostile relationship. So uh, I think the the whole thing is kind of sad. It it certainly is something that the, the public focuses on. But I do think we come out of it not really knowing anything more than, according to this jury, a pox on both their houses. I haven't followed this very closely because, as I said, I just considered it another celebrity gossip story. But it obviously yeah. is an interesting human interest story or an important human interest story. And it does deal with the law in ways that um, certainly deserve clarification. But now I feel like I've missed out on a great soap opera. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know. Go back to those witnesses. Your mouth will drop. <laughs> um, so so what, is, uh, what is your you – know, I'm sure um, folks listening to this – this broadcast are more tuned into it than I am, uh, and you obviously are. Um, what's your gut feeling about it? Do you do you think a pox on both their houses? Or um, to me, it sounds like um, she had I, I don't I don't know some kind of a valid complaint that he was abusive, and he has a valid complaint that. She either drove him to it, which, of course, is not a valid complaint. It's called blame the victim, Um, but that maybe they both were abusive to each other. What, What is your gut feeling? Yeah, you know, it, the, I tend to agree and I, that they were both mutually abusive toward each other. And I, I remember actually hearing a, uh, uh, a guest on Howard Stern years ago who had been working with Johnny Depp in a movie and was invited to their home. And he described the kind of mutual hostility and craziness, uh, much of it drug-fueled with both of them, uh, that he saw. And it seemed kind of consistent with a, uh, a very mutually abusive uh, relationship. One thing I took, there were a couple things I took out of this I thought that were significant. And one is the the public very much much seen to, if you look at social media, turn on her and that uh, she was the villain. And my concern is that uh, the Me Too movement and uh, the fact of abuse of women may have been harmed by her, who is not the most uh, sympathetic of figures, because as as it was indicated in the trial, she was quite abusive herself. So uh, I am concerned that uh, perhaps the Me Too movement and the idea of protecting of women's rights may have been hurt by this trial. But, you know, this was one where it's very hard to find a good guy in this. I mean, it's a sad situation and one that uh, I just I I don't know why it was taken to court. I think Depp obviously felt very strongly uh, that he was not abusive. And, you know, he was somewhat convincing, I think, in his mind. He was not, but the the evidence certainly uh, was significant uh, that he was abusive, and the fact that the jury awarded her $2 million uh, indicates that they believed her. And again, the, the amounts 
may be misleading to people who don't know the fact that the, the amounts only relate to how they were financially harmed by the defamation. It has nothing to do with the strength or lack of strength of the defamation claims. That's Steve Wiseman, professor of law at Bentley University in Boston and the founder of the crime-fighting website Scamicide.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. The pandemic remains a major topic of concern in our daily lives. Joining us is one of America's most respected physicians and a radio talk show host heard daily on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. I wish we didn't have to talk about COVID, but we do because it remains one of the top topics in our survey and certainly one of the top topics in our lives. So um, anything anything new from the perspective of being a medical doctor? Absolutely. You know, we are seeing multiple cases. The symptoms are a little different than the Omicron we saw in January, where the sore throat was coming on first in January. Now we're seeing the sore throat come a few days later and be very painful. It's an extremely painful sore throat. And so many people are calling in thinking they're they're having strep and all that. And it's just, it's a different pattern of symptoms with COVID. And I, and I think slowly the population is learning that not all COVIDs are equal and some COVID symptoms are not going to mimic other COVIDs. And I think everybody's getting a, a huge crash course in microbiology. But the latest headline is uh, the uh, Pfizer uh, vaccine, um, I believe Pfizer and Moderna are asking for emergency authorization for the six-month through four-year-old shot for Pfizer, six-month through five-year-old shot for Moderna in terms of COVID vaccines. And so the FDA is now looking at data to see if they're going to approve vaccines in the infant to young child range. Do you think that a lot of parents, uh, more so than would be the norm if we hadn't come out of such a politicized and uh, a politicized era and an age of misinformation, do you think that a lot of parents are going to be very hesitant to give their kid, their child, their infants a vaccination? Yes, I, I think I think a bunch of things led to the hesitancy uh, or is leading to the hesitancy. One is many people know somebody who, you know, might have had a side effect. And even though the numbers are showing the statistics are very, very low, that number is really real. And although many adults, you know, had no problem taking the shot, they'll feel guilty if, you know, their child has a, has a side effect. Another concern also is when people who were doubly boosted still got covid I'm having a heck of a time talking to people about, you know, considering boosters or being open to the new shot because many people feel slighted that they went through four vaccines and they still got COVID anyway. So rather than one shot handling it all, I think a lot of parents are, are, are not, you know, seeing the numbers that they were hoping to see. Even though we think it's still successful, I, I think, you know, many parents are not as excited uh, about the shot. And um, also it's going to be multiple shots mm -hmm. for Moderna, it's going to be a two-dose. For Pfizer, it's going to be a three-dose. And I, I think many parents are pretty burnt out on, on the topic. There will be some that will do it, but I, I think we're going to see a lot of hesitancy. What about the concept that if you have the four shots or you have any shots, if you get COVID, you're going to have it less severe than if you weren't vaccinated? Do people Are people open to that idea anymore? They were originally because when we saw Delta and when we saw Omicron come through, we saw less hospitalizations in those who were, you know, extra vaccinated. But what we're seeing now is very similar COVID symptoms, whether you have had four shots or none. And that's starting to change people's 
thinking that COVID might be milder anyway. Personally, I still think there's no rhyme or reason as to who dies with this, so play it safe. But there's there's many people where they're either vaccinated or not, and they look identical in their symptoms. So some people noticing this are like, uh, especially I'm licensed in Alabama, Mississippi. Many of those patients are going, look, I, you know, I'm not vaccinated. It's mild. Also, many people are starting to now see the the worth of natural immunity, which was kind of not really entertained early on in this, and understandably so. And many people think, look, every time I get COVID, it's making me stronger. So that's going to accelerate vaccine hesitancy because people are feeling the immune boost from having been exposed to it prior. And as a doctor, I'm mixed because natural immunity is huge, and we should have from the beginning embraced it. But on the flip side, we don't want people to get sick on purpose and then die of this so it's a it's a very fine you know line it's fine balance i remember when we first heard the term herd immunity it sounded almost insulting to humanity you know what are we just a herd of cows it it fell into the political aspect of it but herd immunity is a valid concept it's crazy how much we've learned it just didn't really apply to covid And, and we knew that herd immunity wouldn't necessarily happen because we knew that this would change and mutate. And so vaccinating everybody to protect the few, the herd immunity theory died as soon as studies came out saying vaccinated people carry it. The whole purpose of herd immunity is to deflect the virus. Once people vaccinated can carry it to the to the young herd members in the center of the herd, we we stopped using the term herd immunity because we knew that uh, we're, we weren't going to achieve it. So do we run the risk of eventually um, every ailment that anybody gets that um, has to do with coughing, sneezing, fevers, sweats, headaches, sore throats, fatigue, brain fog, that it's COVID. It'll become like the Kleenex of diseases, you know, just a generic a generic term. I mean, it's it's crazy. It is. That's Dr. Dahlia Wax, physician and radio talk show host heard daily across the nation on the Genesis Communications Network. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, May 30th through Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.